This week on the Push Wallows podcast, the physio is in the house. Alright, three, two, one, down, I've got my nasal strip on. Hey guys, welcome to the Pushball Legs podcast with myself, Damik. And me, Tom Hall. What's going on, bud? I don't have them on, so therefore I cannot ever get any sleep tonight. I know, I well, have, I'm going to be breathing freely all the way through this show, so as you can tell my voice, definitely haven't got, still haven't got a cold. But um, yeah, basically we've, we're striving to bring on guests that are smarter than us um, throughout the year, and we achieved that with uh, Amelia earlier in the uh in the year right january first one and we've haven't brought, achieved this week we definitely haven't um so <laughs> without further ado we have brought our favorite favorite physiotherapist alex smith i'm never gonna live that down am I? <laughs> <laughs> no all right um you Ever. can say your real name because i'm not gonna butcher it yeah, so my, my real name is Alex Krzyzewski, um, and I work as a physio out in Mid-Essex near where you, you grew up, Tom. Exactly where I grew up, yeah, strangely. We didn't know each other before, I know, the online PT and world, and then ended up on a course together. Yeah. Um, and then somehow, oh, I don't know, you were, so I had to remind Dan that you were his client previously. That's, yeah. that's, that's disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> it is, I know. I was just chatting to him before the show, guys, and I was like, so we got Alex on. I was like, so how do we know him again? I was like, I know we seem to have like been friends with him for a long time, or like since the show started. And I was like, isn't he one of your clients? He was like, nah, no, he weren't. <laughs> I, think, I was like, I pretty sure, said, I'm pretty sure he was. Three, no, more than that, maybe four or five years now. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long time ago. It's probably when you start growing that beard, I reckon. Yeah, um, it was like because Tom said, "Oh, is he one of your clients?" And I was like, "Well, no, not not at the moment." And I was like, "No, I don't think." And then he was like, "Has he been your client?" I was like, "I don't think so." <laughs> like, I had to really yeah, it was that. very very briefly, but I, I learned a lot in a very short space of time. What? Yeah, I think you got you you um yeah you just wanted to get a bit leaner, and then it was like we got leaner, and then it was all good. You told me what I needed to know, and that was it. There you go. That's it. That's that's how that's how I roll, mate. Get him in, get him out. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, obviously those of you that are regular in the, the push pull legs group or um, listen regularly, we've listens. referred to Alex a few times, I think, um, yeah. on certain shows. Mainly not, in a, we, not we, in a derogatory way either. We, we've like, said genuinely. something and then he's corrected us and we've had to say it differently. So uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's our go-to for physio knowledge if uh, me and Dan tried to pretend. Um, basically, we've got we got backup sources. That's what we're saying. Credible. Yeah. yeah. But um, Alex is also <laughs> like a physio who like, lifts and likes to lift and understands that lifting is life. Um, and it's more important than using like resistance bands to like do shit with all the time. Like a lot of physios just, you go to them and they give you a rehab exercise and go, right, see you later. You're fine again. It's like, brilliant. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, So I suppose Alex, give us a bit of, a bit of your background, what, what you've been doing and what what you're currently, and like what you currently specialize in, if that's a a thing you do. So, so I work at the moment as a musculoskeletal physio, so probably what most people associated with sport or, or lifting have their general perception of physio as, and I've been working as a physio since uh, 2012, so I'm going into year eight of my career now, and prior to that I did a degree in exercise science as well, so I'd say I've been in and out of gyms for probably the last sort of 10 to 15 years in some capacity, and in the last 
sort of three or four years, I've been really able to go down the whole of a sort of MSK or musculoskeletal physio and really specialize in um, kind of rehab-based exercise and have moved away from uh, kind of manual therapy and lots of hands-on stuff um, just because it wasn't providing much kind of enjoyment or results. So you don't like touching people? I mean, it's, it's funny because the, the reason I got into physio in the first place was to be the the magic hands-on therapist who could, you know, do, do your voodoo and your woo-woo and people would be better like that. Wow. And, and very quickly you realize it doesn't work like that when you're <laughs> dealing with, with people who aren't easily fixed. Mm. So, uh, the, you know, the thing that seems to work with people is, is sustainable exercise and, and developing a decent rehab program. And that, that seems to apply really from whether I'm dealing with my... 80-year-old NHS patients who need hip replacement through to the um, kind of competitive and elite level athletes I work with in my, my private practice. Amazing. It's kind of, uh, so the gist of this episode, I think we're going to talk mainly around physios and the cross between basically training, not that much nutrition, unless Dan really wants to talk about, I know, rehab nutrition. I think we brushed on it before, but it's fairly sparse. Um, so in kind of... Br- the the way I see you, Alex, in this is kind of bridging the gap of mm-hmm. uh, between what I'd say is not generic personal trainer, but more like strength coach, S and C coach to physiotherapy, yeah. which I think is the route that, if I'm honest, every physio should start to take. Um, because, I mean, I work with referrals as well, and I've had. I say in the last year, probably about four arguments with physiotherapists about yeah. the some of the stuff that they prescribed, and uh-huh. I was like, I'm just, and I'm not a physio. Um, I'll just say what I think I know, um, and it, it's just something that they don't know how to train, and whether that. I mean, we've had a physio on before, way back when, right? Uh, Chris Landrum, uh, the shrimp yeah. physio. I don't know who does dad stuff. Yeah, now, I like right? Chris. So Chris, um, which he's a good guy, but he was exactly the same PT wise. So why why did you start to feel like there, there was that need to bridge the gap between? Obviously, you do train yourself. Alex yeah. has got a triple body weight deadlift, by the way, just in case you would need some validation. Um, that is he's pretty pretty strong. Um, <laughs> and then uh, yeah, so where why did you start to bridge that gap, and what what kind of drove that? I think it was the, the, the people I was working with, the people I continue to work with, um, they, they just needed something more. And the thing I always found working with other um, other colleagues and therapists is you, you get your exercise prescription up to a point when you're um, going through university level study, but it's, it's very, very basic unless you've got a background in lifting and resistance training and strength training yourself. So... One of the, the benefits I have in my role and where I am now is that I can teach my uh, my colleagues and my junior members of staff how, how you can actually progress a squat or a lunge or a push or a pull because they're not things that a physio curriculum really gives you much information on. And when you see people's rehab programs, they're often underdosed and underloaded and there's not a great deal of reasoning into why you pick a specific thing at a specific time. So we spend all this time learning about how to clinically reason, you know, why someone might present with a particular diagnosis or you, why you might tr- choose to use a particular treatment technique. But actually, when it comes to selecting what exercise you use, how much you're doing of it and how you progress it, you're almost left to figure that bit out yourself. And I think unless you've got a, a background in training and you've been, you know, whether you're coaching people or just lifting yourself, 
you're almost left to figure all that stuff out on your own. So I've, I've probably spent more time learning from people in the, the fitness and strength and conditioning industry than I have in the, the physio and rehab world. Kind of makes sense, considering your, yeah. your specialisms back there. And I've gone completely the opposite way. So yeah. special in SNC, and then I've gone back towards you guys and started to learn how to do correctives that way, but applying it into strength stuff. Yeah. Obviously, Dan, you're... I mean, we're, we're both good friends with osteos. Um, do you tend to... I think a lot of people get confused of whether they should see an osteo or a physio. I, I still get confused because you, you <laughs> ask, uh, ask, ask an osteopath or a chiropractor or a physio what they do, and you will get different answers, and you'll get different answers if you ask two physios or two, two chiros or two osteos. So there's this huge just like identity crisis in in the therapy world because you you have so many shit people under the same title and then you have some amazing people that fall under titles you wouldn't expect so if, if you look online at people like um you know jacob harden and ryan debell so the guy does the movement fix they are chiropractors by profession but when was the last time you saw them adjusting or, or manipulating a, a client you know they've moved so far away from that philosophy Whereas I think physio is, is traditionally seen as the, the rehab profession, but we, we don't seem to be that great at it a lot of the time. Do you think there's, a, do you think there's like a fear in physios of, of loading people? Do you think it's a case of almost getting them back to a point where they're functioning and going, right, you're back to where you were before, rather than then going to prevent this happening again, you need to do X, Y, and Z. They just kind of, patch you up and go right your pain's gone now the symptomatic pain isn't there so we'll just you just don't do that again like yeah. that kind of view and and that's where you you have to kind of understand where someone's coming from and what they want because if you're if you're taking a very manual therapy and hands-on approach with people then you're you're basically just targeting symptom relief and that's it so if someone comes in with a painful back or shoulder you can rub it you can click it and it will <laughs> probably feel better for a while but asking someone to then commit to an exercise program or do something differently or train in a different way, creating that buy-in is the, is the hardest part. And some people will be quite happy to go with it. Other people, it's a real challenge. And this is where I think where uh, PTs and coaches are almost working backwards towards more of the, of the rehab realm. If you're getting people coming in with problems and they're seeking help with exercise, you've already won because you, you've got that buy-in without having to, to sell it. Whereas... In my NHS work, part of the biggest challenge I have is, is selling to people lifestyle change and exercise and doing things in a different way. Join the club, mate. <laughs> <laughs> God. So, can I get lean and carry on doing exactly what I'm doing now? No. <laughs> going to have to change something. Expect change. Yeah. Yeah, I, went, I went to see a physio because uh, I've, I ha- I've had, like, been having neck problems and stuff like that. And I went to see a local physio um, around here. And like again, I know a little bit. I'm not anywhere near Tom's level, and obviously nowhere near, not even on the same spectrum of yours. But I went to have. The, I've got this neck problem. I went to, to see her, and I knew. I knew it was a. It was about my neck. Like you know, there's always that thing of oh, it's not your neck. It's somewhere else. I was like, okay. Yeah. Well. So I went in there and straight away and like talked about what do you do for a job? And he's just like, oh, you spend a fair amount of time at a desk. Blah blah. blah I train. And straight away she was like, "Oh, it's probably you know your thoracic mobility probably won't be as good." And I'm like, "No, I know it's fine. I know. I, I know that's fine. I train people." <laughs> And like, oh, but you sit at a desk and, you know, you, you probably hunched over a little bit. And I'm like, nah, I don't, nah, I don't know. And she played around with it a little bit. And it, like you said, it kind of felt a little bit better. And then I went to see 
see Doug, who's our mate, I went all the way into London to see him, and he's like, no, it's nothing to do with that, it's your neck, it's definitely your neck, and he was like, <laughs> it's right at the top of here, and it's, it's that whole thing of, I think, sometimes everyone's had a bad experience with a physio, much like everyone's had a bad experience with a PT, and yeah. I think that, you know, it's, it's one of those industries where it's viewed upon almost like PTs are a little bit, and I think that that, almost that infighting that you've, you've spoken about, or that, you know, not knowing where you sit, it kind of adds to the whole, the same thing with PTs, adds to the confusion of like, well, I had a bad experience, so I don't want to go again. I don't want to do it. And like, once you find someone you trust, my experience has always been, I just always speak to Doug now because I just don't, I don't trust anyone. And I'm like, I'm just go and see him rather than the person down the road. So, like, how do you distinguish yourself from someone like that? Like, how do you set yourself apart other than obviously getting results and referrals is obviously huge? But is there any way that you you can distinguish yourself from? I think the, I mean, that's one of the main reasons why I, I use my, my content on Facebook and Instagram to just provide that social proof of what I do. Because if you, if you look through my feed, you will see, you know, you'll see thoughts, you'll see videos, you'll see pictures, and, and none of it is around hands on treatment or, or manual therapy, because that's not the kind of person that I want to attract into my, my practice. So often mo most of my private referrals are either through the network of coaches and therapists that I already work with and know exactly how I work or people are inquiring through Instagram, Facebook and by doing that they're seeing how I work and so yeah. it's almost using that as a way of, of demonstrating if you're going to come and see me this this is what you should expect and, and I'll be up very upfront with people about that and a lot of the work I get tends to be second opinion work as well so people have already run the gamut with uh, other physios or chiros or osteos and they, they've had the the soft tissue treatment the dry needling the manipulation and it almost acts as a filter that i don't need to worry about that because if it's mm -hmm. been done and it's not worked it's a lot easier to sell well actually that's not worked for you so let's try exercising let's look at your program let's look at how you're doing it let's look at do we need to change how you're doing things temporarily because ra rarely does someone need to stop doing something it's just having the knowledge and understanding and coaching skill set to be able to keep them fit and keep them doing their meaningful activities in a way that makes them feel like they're not a patient see that yeah i think i think obviously with your with your social media I, i've never i've not seen I, I don't really follow a huge amount of them, to be fair but i've never i've not <laughs> seen a huge amount of physios putting out that sort of stuff which, and again it makes sense right you 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 know you you attract what you put out so putting out videos of your clients lifting heavy and going through progressive rehab programs you're going to attract people who oh, i want that or i need that yeah um which makes sense and that's the thing i mean I, I know in my i mean in my network the people that actively refer to me are um i've got a, a good group of, of coaches and trainers at the gyms i work out of and they they know exactly how i work and i i have soft tissue therapists and i have chiros and osteopaths that if i think someone needs some decent hands-on treatment I will quite happily punt them to that person because it's not the stuff that I enjoy doing. So that person might as well go and see someone who lives for that kind of stuff and then comes back to me when they when they need exercise. Yeah, you can do it way more as well. So exercise is better yeah. better business to be in because it's not just an equipment inflation. It's to be yeah. longevity as well. Longevity. But the, client. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the is if you're uh, you know if if you're working on getting people better as, as quick as possible, your, your business model is terrible because you're looking yep. at seeing people maybe two or three times and that's it. But, you know, the, the therapists that make the most money are the people who are seeing them, you know, week on week or maintenance treatments and there's there's no reason to go back. But, 
your your paying client or, or patient who's spending 40 50 60 quid every week every two weeks is just getting very expensive reassurance that there's nothing wrong whereas actually if you can give someone the tools to look after themselves it takes a bit longer and it's a harder sell but that's a sustainable result for that person yeah, how is your nutrition going, Alex? Anyway, yeah, good, is it? Yeah, <laughs> years on, see? Yeah, on, see, I'm, I'm the same, mate. I'm the same. You see? There you go. <laughs> Not have to keep them hanging around forever. Um, no, I, I, I think the other thing I wanted to ask you, actually, one thing I remembered just now is you talked about manual therapy and wanting to get away from that because you realised you couldn't really make a huge amount of difference yeah. in what you were doing. Now, I just want to get this out there because we talk about it a little bit on the on the podcast, but I get a lot of questions still about yeah. this. If you obviously manually find it very difficult to manipulate tissue with your hands and how strong you are and what you can do. Is foam rolling a waste of time? I think you, you have to almost backtrack and look at what you're trying to achieve with the, the treatments that you're using. So if you're, if you're using manual therapy and you're using a narrative of I am breaking down scar tissue or I am lengthening tissue, you, you've missed the boat already because we, we can't import impart anywhere near as much force as we think we can and to you know to deform your plantar fascia on the bottom of your foot by a fraction of a percent you need to hang a car off of it so if you think that by rubbing your thumb up and down someone's foot for five minutes is breaking down scar tissue or something like that then good luck but if you're looking at it from a view of you're reducing tone and you're making movement less threatening and it's more comfortable to move then by all means use it but it should be a tool to help move on to other stuff so if, if you've got a tight quad or tight hip flex then absolutely use the foam roller for two minutes but then go and put yourself in a position where you're challenging that hip extension and creating sustainable change rather than asking someone to stick their elbow in your thigh for you know for 45 minutes every week because you're wasting your time and your money. Yeah, that's the thing. I think because with it, I, I'm not a huge advocate of it. But as you said, you know, the odd, the odd person doing two minutes rolling like quads because it's a bit tight is fine. But then, like I said, the next question is always, well, how are you loading that muscle that muscle so that it does under that new length get used to being in length and range yeah. and, and being strong and all that sort of stuff and actually moving it through an entire range of movement through what you're doing rather than just doing a bit of foam rolling and then just going to go and squat and not actually thinking about what you're doing in any way, shape or form. And it's, it's just a huge bugbear of mine, I think, because I see a lot of people still doing it and like, but I hear them use words like breaking down scar tissue and you're like, mm, shut up. Like it's, and it's that whole <laughs> misunderstanding of what it is you're actually achieving by doing it. And people like it as a part of a ritual and, and like you said, to reduce, you know, a little bit in tone and all that sort of stuff. But like you said there, it's like when people actually kind of, think that they're causing some meaningful long-term change by doing it it's a bit like yeah and and, th and this is the thing because if if you take soft tissue work dry needling k-tape whatever you know if all of those things will make people feel better for some period of time whether it's going to be two minutes ten minutes two weeks six weeks six months whatever but what are you what are you doing after that and how are you explaining it to that person so if you're again if you're saying you've got tight hip flexors and someone says oh i, I can feel you've got a lot of scar tissue in there i'm going to go in and absolutely tear up your, your hip flexors and you feel great afterwards two weeks later when it feels stiff again you think oh i've, I've scarred my hip flexors up again i need to go and get someone else to uh, to release this so you know the narrative you use and whether it's actually biologically plausible 
is is the real issue because you you can create dependence on people very easily and if someone's in pain it's very easy to sell yourself as this this fixer whereas actually if you can facilitate someone to get better of their own accord and give them this this reassuring narrative and, and conversation people feel a lot more empowered but downside is you don't see them as much you don't make as much money so take your pick fair enough <laughs> It kind of runs along the same lines. We've, we've, we preach about the mobility stability model a fair bit and how that should be integrated into, I know what Dan's saying is that sort of first point of contact when he goes to a foam rolling. Um, the one that always gets me, and I, I always pose a question in our PT level one at third space is, can you uh, foam roll the IT band? And it's just uproar of different people's opinions. And Alex, can you... Can you obviously can? Is there any point in foam rolling the IT band for you runners out there? I, I don't see why you would because it's <laughs> it's a massive tendon and it just really really hurts. And it really hurts, right? <laughs> yeah. If you you know if if people want to roll their quads or their hamstrings, then that's fine. But I I think you're wasting your time rolling your IT band. But if you're looking to angle yourself in a way that works more on the lateral quad than the lateral hamstring, you may well get some stuff out of that, but you will not get the same level of pain, you will not bruise up, and it's generally a more pleasant experience. Fair enough. If, if it hurts, it works though, right? So <laughs> that's, that's what it's all about, isn't it? But that, it but that's what, again, that's what a lot of therapies are like. If, if you have like an, intent, you know, an intense deep tissue session or you have really aggressive acupuncture and dry needling, you will be in bits for, for a couple of days afterwards, but the the neurological response and the ability of your brain to get rid of that pain with another pain, some some people love it. And again, if, if people like it and they're happy to, to do that, then fine. But I, I don't think it provides the long-term relief that people need. No, that's, that's the challenge. I think it comes back to when you said uh, you can hang a car off... Uh... Yeah, the fascial. I think somebody was saying that you can pull a truck with your IT band, pretty much, of how yeah. how rigid and ridiculously strong it is. It's like, yeah, if you think a little foam roller is going to really change much of that, um, yeah, probably not. Even yeah. with a fat lump like me pushing down, not going to happen. <laughs> so absolutely fine. I think I think we are getting away from it. I think people are starting to understand that the the human body isn't as fragile as we think it was, and we can't do as much with our hands as we think we can. So, you know, the the thing that was going around that uh, Adam Meekins, the the sport physio, was was talking about recently was whether you can actually palpate the the psoas. And if you look at how far in it is, you're, you're talking probably a good four or five inches below the skin, and you're then trying to get past skin, abdominal fat abdominal muscle guts and then you've probably got somewhere around there is, is the psoas so how how can you tell if it's a problem and how can you get on that specific tissue without everything else like again are you do you just want to bruise someone's intestine by stabbing <laughs> you in there for 20 minutes yeah it hurts mate it hurts, it hurts. Yeah, i told yeah. you that's the that's the, that's the <laughs> it. it's, it's it that works. whole thing i just i i just find it fascinating with 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 the physio world but not even that just like i think it's more um it's more, uh, I suppose, a patient-led thing. It's like with the the cross balls and stuff, right? It's like oh, if it really hurts and gets in there, then it's it's good. And I've I've made that mistake. Like I've taken people before who who actually have been foam rolling and used the cross balls for long enough to go. Actually, you're you're fine now. You can just train. Like you don't need to be doing this every week. And it's their choice if they want to do it and stuff like that. I get it. But it's that whole like thing. Of, it's the same with training. Like oh, it's got to hurt. Otherwise, it's just not going to do anything. And I just think that we we go so far beyond that. And then. 
like you see people who are actually in pain like no we don't want pain like that's not the goal like it, yeah. it's almost like people are prepared to go so far with it and then go if it hurts it's got to work and then if it hurts too much they're like oh no that's not good now is it and it's i just find it all fascinating yeah, and, and you see that, I mean, when I was doing more manual therapy, you'd get used to treating people, you know, quite aggressively and, and really firmly, and you'd have, you know, a, a certain success rate where someone would endure it for sort of 15 to 20 minutes, get up and feel much, much better. The next person you see, you do the exact same thing, and they feel 10 times worse. So there, there's so many other things you have to consider when you're choosing how to treat someone or work with someone and how receptive that person is to the you know, the load of an exercise or the intensity of a, of a treatment technique that you use. If, so, if someone's coming out stressed up to the eyeballs and they're anxious and they're worried, they don't know what's going on, the last thing you need to do is, is stick your elbow in that person's, like, glue or back or IT band or something like that because you're just going to make them cry. Like, what, what, what do you get out of that versus actually explaining to someone that the stress is probably causing some of their pain that they probably do better from sleeping a bit more and looking at other activities to try and calm themselves down. But I can make them cry, so sign me up. Absolutely. <laughs> make, make, make them cry. Absolutely fine. Um, yeah, I suppose that my one of my questions I had as well was, um, what's the most common injury that you see people present and that you think is the most avoidable with whether it's good form, good technique, or just an understanding of how to train properly or whatever it might be? So if, I, if I'm looking at the, the lifters that I tend to treat, because I, I really enjoy seeing people from kind of strength sports or, or lifting pursuits, because it's, it's very easy to build buy-in when you, when you lift yourself. And I would say it tends to be more either back pain or knee pain or shoulder pain. And it, it doesn't seem to kind of discriminate. Like if you're working with a power lifter, chances are it's going to be back pain. If it's working with a, you know, someone who's having trouble with squats, you can guarantee they've almost got knee pain. Um, and the way, the way I tend to work with it is, is almost on like a, like a tier system. So the, the first thing you do is just ask people, you know, can you show me how you're squatting or deadlifting and what are you doing? Because a lot of these people don't have a need to be kind of treated and, and stop doing anything. It's just, well, have you tried lifting in a different way? Or have you, you know, have you tried a trap bar deadlift rather than a conventional or have you tried a front squat rather than a back squat? And one of the things that always surprises me, and I think this is where I've, I've been in, involved with lifting for so long, you, you kind of forget that people don't know the same things that you do around lifting progressions and, and loading options. So, you know, the number of people who might feel better in their back when you say, actually, try pushing your knees a bit further forward when you squat rather than going into this massive hip hinge. Or have you tried using a trap bar deadlift rather than conventional if your back's bothering you? Like the, these little subtle tweaks are often enough just to either get people out of pain or to just find a way to just calm it down a little bit. So do you ever look at that, their programming then, like I suppose what they've been doing? So for example, I suppose a lot of powerlifters would like say would just go, oh, I just deadlift, I bench and I squat rather than, oh, there's elements of front squats in there, Bulgarians, there's elements of that element. And then the same with bench press, they might do floor presses and block presses and overhead presses or... Yeah. Is there a lot of that going on? And actually, you look at it and go, I can see exactly why. It's because you're just doing the same fucking thing over and over again that you need to put a bit of yeah. bright in there to, to change the loading pattern, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I think if I... I mean, there's been a few a few powerlifters I've worked with recently. And if, if you look at the uh, the typical positions that a powerlifter is going to work in, so if you look at the, the body position, you're taking extension, abduction, and external rotation. So that that's going to be your position where you can create 
so much strength and power, but you're also putting a lot of load on your body by doing it that way for everything. So someone will choose to squat in that stance. They'll probably deadlift in a very similar stance. And what these people aren't doing is using the stuff at the other end of the spectrum. So putting people in, in positions of more kind of flexion, adduction and, and internal rotation. So you, you can see it through people's programming. And sometimes it's just a, a volume issue. You know, if, if someone is, is working towards meet day and they are working with, you know, kind of high intensities at moderate to high volumes, part of the problem might just be how much they're doing and working with people who are in strength sports generally are quite comfortable with their, their technique and form. So there's not a huge deal often to, to coach on their big lifts because they've, they've figured out how to do it and how it works for themselves. But looking at the rest of the program is, is absolutely essential because if they're not matching the stuff they're doing at one end of the, the spectrum of being kind of very performance based to the, the more you know relaxing and restorative stuff that keeps them athletic and keeps them able to continue training if you only look at technique and you think well actually that's quite good i don't really know what to do now you know you need to be looking at the whole program and i'll, I'll get people to send me sort of two or three months worth of programs before i see them because i need to know what they've been doing i need to know how they've been doing it and i then need to know what where can i intervene with this person to get the the most results so for some people, it might be changing their, their technique completely. For other people, it might just be suggesting you squat with a different, you know, different bar position or you integrate more push-ups if you've got shoulder pain with benching. You know, keep doing the things that you need to, but do things a little bit differently as well to just take the stress that clearly you're not dealing very well with. It's fair. Yeah. And uh, I think you can pretty much learn all of that at Mind Dance Workshop. So no need to speak to Alex at all. So you covered it, mate. Um, <laughs> but it's a, it's, a, it's a common problem, though. I think a lot of, I think we're all guilty of it, is that when you get a training plan, you kind of gravitate towards exercises you enjoy or that you like or that you need to do, like if it's a powerlifter and stuff. And, and like, it's, it's doing those exercises that are a little bit more difficult um, but aren't as heavy or don't load as much or they challenge you. You don't like them for a reason because they're hard and generally they're probably the ones that, like you said, to create a more well-rounded, you know, physique, I suppose, that works and does its job. You need to be doing shit that you don't probably like doing yeah. as much because everyone does stuff they like to do all the time. Yeah, And, and that's the stuff that I think is it's useful to then have a conversation with the coach as well. So the, the people that I work with have their own powerlifting coaches who do their programming and all I can do is say these are the things that I would do slightly differently in order to make your squat bench deadlift more sustainable. You know, so again, look at using more reaching activities rather than doing all of your pressing where you've got a fixed scapula or put someone in a bit of flexion rather than having this massive extensive pattern all the time that is just going to eat up your, your training capacity. But you, you've got to be able to speak the same language of people as well. And I think things like the, fms and the sfma whatever your opinions on them might be they they open the door to this this common language between healthcare professionals and trainers and, and coaches careful josh might be listening so i love that <laughs> um but what something i've got written down here which i'd like you to ask because uh, you kind of alluded to it but not really it's i just put nhs or private which one do you prefer mm -hmm. Because obviously you work in both, and yep. why did you start doing the other one? I'm guessing one came first. So I, I've been working in the NHS for about four and a half years now, and 
what what I like about it is it gives me a very different caseload to what I see privately. So when, when I work privately and work for myself, I, I tend to see people involved in, in lifting pursuits or, or sports-specific work. So there's, there's a lot of high-end clients there that are, are good fun to work with, but the, the stuff you see in the NHS is, is very different, and it gives me the the bigger picture of other things that can go on. So the you know the first the first thing you have to do in assessment is make sure that someone is in the right place because someone could have back pain because it's just simple backache because you've been training too much or that person could have a you know a disc based pathology that person could have bone cancer. You know the reality is is you, you don't know what you don't know with these people and Working in the NHS with a population that have very, very different health profiles and different expectations and demands, I think it keeps me honest with the, the spectrum of people I'm seeing. And the again, the team I work with are great. It's, it's a nice environment to work in some of the time, but I it doesn't give me the same sense of satisfaction or, or enjoyment as I'm when I'm working with people who, who lift because, again, it's a very... A very different dynamic in that session and what I do even though the overall message and principle is the same that the nuts and bolts are very different between those two those two client groups yeah I mean I've had experience with both private and NHS physios and obviously we've all had a bad experience so yeah. I've mine has been night and day in in terms of NHS and I think it's probably where you used to work as well in St. St. Peter's Hospital in, yeah. uh, in Malden uh my <laughs> obviously i didn't really know much back then um and yeah i've had some basically just like half an hour with that it'll be like basically gentle massage of some sort yep. and then off you go you're a young lad you'll get over it it's like oh great wonderful and then private obviously no more there's been a little bit of a different different thing to look at so yeah i mean the the, the challenges <laughs> and the constraints i have in the nhs is that i i'm generally restricted to 30 minute appointments yep. and i I guess on average, I see people maybe between three and five times. And the again, the things that you have to address with those people is is the real low hanging fruit. So you're you might not even get to your high end rehab or kind of return to normal activity stuff because these people still need to understand what's going on and how their their lifestyle may be contributing to the problem they've got. So again, if someone's coming in with back pain and they have a <coughs> you know, a very poor understanding or appreciation of exercise, if they're stressed out, they're not, if they're not sleeping well, their pain is probably as a result of those things rather than anything that they think they're doing mechanically. Whereas in my, my private work, again, I, I book an open appointment for people, so I don't like constraining myself to a certain amount of time. I'd rather leave it open and give it an hour, you know, even an hour and a half just to really work through everything because if these are people that have had poor experiences elsewhere, I'm I need to make sure that person is happy with what they're getting and, and giving them the leeway to be able to talk about things, work through things and then give them that, that tangible solution or at least the start of the solution is, is hugely important, especially if someone's paying you their money. You know, you, you have to give value where other clinics may have people in within, you know, 10, 15 minutes, click, crack, rub done you know what, wow. what did you what did you get out of that? <laughs> what clinic was this <laughs> <laughs> um yeah that's my kind of gist of why i would prefer to see a private now i think from our perspective as probably listeners of the show as well are probably into their fitness enough to download us or whatever but you should probably go that way or 
maybe I think people are starting to go towards training when they go private as well. From what I've seen yeah. is they tend to go through a sort of specialty or a scope of practice that they want to go down and they've discovered, oh, this could be better this way and they want to change it and they think it'll be better by doing it that way. Um, obviously with the NHS, you have your restraints. Um, yeah. So, and the time thing as well, like, I realized that we, we have like promotional packages that basically we, we're asking trainers like to sell their services within two hours. You're basically the same really in terms of you're trying to get somebody to change. We're trying to get somebody to change and you're trying to get somebody to change their way of life or do something differently within their normal day-to-day routine within 90 minutes to yeah two and a half hours, which I think most of the general public would struggle to get somebody to, to change what they've yeah. been doing for the last 20 years. And be like, oh, I want you to do this. It doesn't fit. All right, well, Dan must do it all the time. I think nutrition is probably the biggest one to change. So, and people more advocate of like looking for yeah. change as well. And and I think when when people are paying, there there is a difference in what what they're willing to do as well. So I think the the, the good thing about the NHS and the physio system is it, it's free for people who genuinely can't afford to uh, pay for their own healthcare. But the the challenge in getting people to then change is a lot more difficult because they're not paying for it. You know, if, if their GPs referred them and they've been seen and they, they don't value you as an individual, then you are, you know, you're onto a, a much more difficult case. Whereas, you know, if I, you know, working in Chelmsford, if I've got someone who's paying me for my time, who's traveling down from London and they've seen what I put online, you know, that the buy-in is a lot easier. And there's this, again, the, the expectation is, is that you're going to get, you know, active kind of care and strategies if you if you see me in that environment, rather than I'm just going to treat the sore bit and, and look to fix the symptom. You know, that that's not why people, you know, reach out to me. It's for a long-term sustainable solution. Fair. Right, so quick fire, physio approved. Common dysfunction in the shoulder. What could you do to maybe improve it? Um, say, say bench pressing is slightly painful, AC joint pain, blah, blah, blah. It's yeah. probably the most common thing. What would be physio approved? Basically, everybody, everybody write this down now. What's that? Floor press or push up. <laughs> floor press or push up, bang. All right, hip. Some sort of hip, I don't know. What, the, the, the common word is an impingement, but my, uh, there's a surgeon that I know hates the, the saying that because it's not, apparently not true. Um, I don't really know. Um, basically, this uh, is rehab, rehab for me, Alex, more than anything else. So, so hip, hip pain, I would either <laughs> go. If, if you're looking at a squat... Let's I would go squat that. and dead, all right? So we've got maximal hip flexion, then like maximum yep. knee flexion. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so if, you, yeah, if you've got squat, then I would either go box squat or front squat. Um People who have FA, you know, femoral acetabular impingement or hip impingement do well with a front squat because you're looking at more dorsiflexion rather than hip flexion. Um, box squat, you're just constraining the range of movement, and often that's a, an easier entry point for people because you just make the same exercise a bit a bit shorter, yeah. and then they're happier because they can make it heavier because they're moving less through less range. Uh, deadlift again, you can go block pull, you could go semi sumo deadlift or trap bar, depending on what they prefer. Um, a lot of it is just playing around and see see what feels good and what doesn't hurt. Hundred percent. And I have done every single one of those. It still hurts, Alex. What is wrong with me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> just chop it off. It's coming to two years. Um, Paralympian. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. I could do that. I could see me in those games. It'd be good. Um, all right. But so basically, Alex wanted to come up because he was something to sell uh, more than anything else. But we, I, I feel bad that we haven't mentioned it. And we're about half an about forty minutes in, um, and it is 
we've had a few we've had some of these people like how well connected you are and how wonderful me and dan are we've had tony g we've had lisa lewis we've had dean somerset we've had luke um these people who you've been working with what's happening what's 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 the uh what what the project that you're about to release so the, the product is called uh, the Complete Trainers Toolbox. So it's a, I think it's about 20 hours worth of content for uh, practical solutions to common problems. So my my piece in this is about three hours worth of content on understanding flexion extension based back pain. So how can the, the trainer or therapist uh, assess someone within their scope of practice for back pain and how can you then treat and train around that um, if you need to work alongside a healthcare professional, then you can do. But I think for a lot of people, just just knowing when back pain needs referring out or how to train around it is is invaluable. So that's the thing that I take quite a deep dive on, um, looking at a lot of the the research in spine biomechanics and spine loading with a lot of exercises, and then how can you design a training program around that? So how can you keep people feeling like they're training rather than it being a a patient or a rehab case um the other stuff so dean's talking about uh program design and design an effective workout luke's talking about assessments uh i think tony's talking about writing for fitness and overhead mobility and lisa's talking about motivation and i think negative self-talk um and there's some other there's some other talks on there around uh pelvic floor and core uh, considerations with lifting. Uh, there's a big pull-up webinar from Megan Calloway, and there's another one on finding your ideal client and marketing to them, I think. So it's a big old product, and it's been, I think, it's about six to eight months in the making now, so it's, it's looking good, and it's nearly done. Decent. So where are we going to find it? So I will drop a link in the uh, the listener group when it comes out on Tuesday of next week. So that's the twelfth of Feb. Cool. And then is, yeah. it being, is it being added to regularly? Is it is it twenty hours at the moment, and then it's going to progress on from that each? No. So I think it's it's just going to be as a fixed product. I think there's we don't know whether we're going to do a, another one for more general population. But if you're a fitness enthusiast or a trainer or a therapist there's there's so much that you'll get out of it and i'm just working my way through some of the uh the content at the moment it's all it's all decent i think just from my perspective you look at the names and the fact that mine and me and dan have invited them on the show and obviously personally knowing at least five of you in this project right mm. so it's going to be worth the money for people who want to spend um in terms I, I of feel like a very small fish in the uh, the name of the <laughs> <laughs> i mean like any i mean both me and dan have been to i've been i've seen dean somerset talk at least two three times to his i think i went to the same thing twice uh, his hip and shoulder blueprint um i think me and you, Dan, we went to that one, right, as well? The yeah. first the first ever one they did. I'm yeah, Tony sure and Dean did. together, yeah. Tony and Dean. I've seen Tony and Lisa twice as well. Um, obviously, Luke, I've worked with them for a few years. Look obviously, at your name dropping. Look I know, it. it's absolutely oh, crazy. I've I know all these people, and they're great. Yeah. Um, giving credit where credit's due. Um, these people are experts in their field, so 100%, yeah. go buy it. Yeah, Why not? I'll be getting it. I'll be getting it for a start. Yeah. <laughs> it's where all Dan's next content's going to be. He's suddenly just an expert in all of this injury. Yeah, but I think it's, like... it's one of those things where I don't <laughs> even really work with people one on one anymore. But 
I always feel like you can never have too much of this of this of this knowledge and this background. I think in a world where so many people have got an opinion, when there's so many people you respect who tell you their opinion and they're going to give you that information on those topics you covered, like that's all it's all really important stuff. And I think to for for someone who is an online trainer to have an awareness of this stuff separates you straight away from someone who yeah. who doesn't like online trainers generally like you said i, I always am of the opinion that if you need to have trained people in person first that's not a necessity but i think it massively helps your ability to then talk to someone and understand about their training program what you know how to write one for them how to you know give them advice around if they need to skip a workout blah 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 but actually things like this give you an element to go actually send me a video of you doing x y and z and i can assess like you said that flexion extension movement and you can go right okay actually maybe you shouldn't be doing x or you shouldn't be doing y and there's an online trainer that gives you an, another tick in that box of i'm separating myself from my peers <laughs> other people who won't be doing that they'll just give you a generic plan and if you take into an account an assessment like fucking brilliant like i think it just separates you from the masses because it's only again as an industry it's only going to grow um and like you say those names are people to listen to without a doubt like literally if they talk you stop you listen you take in what they say other than you maybe alex the rest of them <laughs> <laughs> no but in all seriousness like it's it shows it shows how well respected you are right and what you do that you're alongside those names and i think like i said i'll, I'll be getting it so. i think it, i think it does help that he's been dean's client for a long time paying him a fair bit of cash I, yeah <laughs> So I started working with Dean in 2014. So when he did, you ever see his post rehab essentials course or product? Was that before your before your time? Went. No, I think I might have seen it. I might have seen it. I think around that, that time. That would have been like around the si- round about the same time we did this hip and shoulder blueprint. I'm sure 2014, 2015. We probably did this. So yeah, I don't know how far away it was from that, but I, I remember going to his this seminar in uh, not far away from Liverpool Street, and I, I sent the guy who was hosting the seminar a message a couple of days before and said, "Can I can I come and see Dean for an assessment?" Because I was quite banged up at that point. I wasn't enjoying training and having that again, sort of hour hour and a half with him and just running through everything. Then be, being his client for for what was about four and a bit years. That, that was what taught me a lot of how I wanted to practice as well because, you know, even as an online client, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of back and forth with, with videos and form checks and tweaks and it was a great process to learn what I wanted to do and, and a lot of the stuff I learned in that time was invaluable and informed a lot of what I do now. Um, but it just goes to show if you, if you take the time to really assess someone properly, whether it's in person or online, then... You know, decisions should be easy to make if you've, you know, if you've got the answers for it. And I think if you, as Dan said, if you've got lots of information available, you know, there's nothing wrong with having that because you'll you'll pick that out at certain points for certain people. And the the bigger your toolbox, the more chance you have of, of winning. Yeah, hundred percent. Is that the slogan? That I think be so. Slogan. Yeah, it should be. Uh, uh, if not, it should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll ask Dean and see what he says. <laughs> That's good. Um, all right, so yeah, go buy it. Find the link in our uh, Facebook group. I'm sure the, we'll post it up when uh, you release it on Tuesday. I'm sure we'll share that about in our stories. Right, Dan? Absolutely fine. Um, yeah. So I think where I want common injuries. Oh, we did have a we did have a little bit of a question. Well, we did, and people went off on my PEDs post, um, but I, I just think that's funny. 
We're going to talk about that a little bit because it, I think it's worth a little debate. Rehab for once you were right. That's just, why. Just yeah, basically yes, that's why. Um, yep. But <laughs> there was a uh, basically somebody asked us um, interesting question. Thanks, Joe. Um, tendinopathy, loading, eccentric, slow, heavy resistance or other. I, th- I think it's an order. Should I be doing yeah. these in tendinopathy? And also, um, tendinopathy, what the hell is it? So, so tendinopathy is the is a term that people now use for things like tendinitis. So it used to be tendinitis being the kind of inflammatory condition and tendinosis being the more uh, degenerative or more kind of long-standing problem. See, tendinitis uh, sounds like a disease. So yeah, it does. Yeah. And even, I mean, nowadays everyone just puts opathy at yeah. the end of anything because it's just this nondescript. There, there's a problem with it and we, we don't know what it is, so we'll just call it tendinopathy. Um, Sounds like my I can't say I really treat it much different to anything else. Um, I know a lot of the, the evidence base will say if you've got a, a really kind of angry and what we call reactive tendinopathy, then isometrics can be really useful and then you'd move on to your... Uh, kind of heavy slow resistance training and then you move on to your, your eccentric loading I, I don't think you need to be as specific as that if you know how to train people properly I think you you need to you if you think about isometrics through to isotonics through to the again kind of heavy eccentric loading all you're doing is increasing the challenge and the demand on that tendon and what you're asking it to do so yeah. yet yes if someone's got a really pissed off shoulder then heavy benching probably isn't the best thing to do with them. But there is no reason why you can't create an isometric load through doing a heavy carry or a deadlift. Or if it's a problem with the range of movement, again, you do something like a floor press. But I think tendinopathy seems to have been on a bit of a pedestal where in actual fact you're, you're just dealing with pain. So find what that person can manage, load them appropriately, and then progress it as, <coughs> as time goes on. And, and I think that seems to be what's happening with a lot of um, the kind of pain professionals. So if you look at people like uh, Greg Lehman, he's taken that concept and just extrapolated it to everything else. So if someone's got pain, find what they can do, challenge them, build them up. Don't worry too much if it's a bit painful. But if you're really aggravating and bothering them, then you need to back off. Yeah. Say, calm, calm it down and build it back up. That's all you've got to do. <laughs> that's basically life. That's, um, that's Physio 101. <laughs> calm it down, chill out, build it back up. Cool. Have some rest. Wow, it's really really easy, this stuff. I can be physio. Good. All right, so PDs, performance enhancing drugs. So basically this, this was sparked um, <coughs> from the BBC posting about uh, Dwayne Chambers. Um at the age of 40 years old, will be at the UK trials, running some like top 10 UK times. At the age of 40 years old, bear in mind, like 40 years old, and he is properly elite athlete. Okay, he's running like 60 meters in 6.6, 6.7 seconds. Pretty rapid. Um, basically, my chat was basically if you've had. So I, I disagree with the premise that once you've been caught for drugs, you're allowed back in the sport. I don't think this should happen. I think you've been training with the drugs. Therefore, you've already acclimatized to that benefit. Therefore, you've had a training effect for however much long you weren't being caught. And the time that you had been caught, you were still training on it. Um, suddenly, you've already got that 
platform that has built you up against your rivals. He hasn't been taking anything. Therefore, either on this case, his career has been basically longer because of it. And he's been able to perform at a longer rate. And yeah. Thoughts, boys? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think think also, I think in in sports such as sprinting or athletics uh, in general, where a lot of it is just fundamentally down to that speed and power you can generate rather than say tennis whereby if you get caught for drugs and something you know at the end of the day there's an element of skill involved that no matter how fit and strong you are you're still not going to be number you know be number one in the world whereas in such a straight line event that is literally like and there's obviously a skill and a technique but it is if you take drugs you're going to have a massive benefit over everyone else and we touched on it briefly didn't we before we we hit record but you're right. Like it, it probably is a couple of things it shows. One, probably the lack of talent in British athletics sprinting. For one, forty-year-old guy can still get there. <laughs> but, but also, like the the long-term effects of performance-enhancing drugs and how much it can impact someone's someone's ability to carry on sprinting. And like you said, who knows how long he was using it for before he was caught? It doesn't that shouldn't matter. But the point is as well he made that decision. And and like you say, I think people making that decision should know that if they get caught, it's life ban because. The, the the evidence is is there. I'm pretty sure that it's you know just if you take steroids or you take something for a year, two years, the effects last longer than just those years you were taking them. Um, you know your body you know will will benefit from that for for years to come. And I think that's pretty evident. Like you said, the fact that he's still doing it when most forty year olds can't even you know can't move. <laughs> <laughs> Unless they go see Alex, but um, yeah, I think that's the case. Like it's just, it's madness, I still think, because like Justin Gatlin's another big one, he still performs on the world stage massively, and he's in his late 30s, and... But, but like we talked about as well, I don't think, I think it's extremely naive of us to imagine that, that everyone who competes in athletics is probably taking something they probably maybe, they know they shouldn't, or they think they shouldn't, or that they're pushing the boundaries. Um, where you draw that line, and, and whether that's a, not a great thing to say, I don't know, but I think the Russian scandal that was 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 shown years ago just goes to show you how i don't want to say simple it is but how it's done and how it can be done and you'd be naive to assume that that just because russia got caught that no one else is doing it and it's just russia it's like no i don't think that's the case um and i think when you put a bunch of people together with the same mindset that they'll do anything possible to be the best in the world it, it and coaches that want to train people that way as well and be considered the best there's there's only it's only going to lead to temptation um and like there was there there was that thing that they did wasn't there i think it was in um it was in pumping iron or generation iron i think it was there's that stat that they they always pull up and it's if you said to a you know an olympic athlete they could win a gold medal but die in four years you know a stupid percentage of them said they'd do it if they didn't get caught and it's like that's the that's what you're dealing with yeah but that's that's how important it is to that person, isn't it? If they're willing to transgress the rules and serve a ban for the the chance of of winning, then you you, you can't question their motivation. But how many how many people get caught versus how many people are using? Again, this we're never gonna know. No, uh, you're never, yeah, <laughs> this is the whole argument, isn't it? For just yeah. saying open floor, like just say to people, you can do what you want, and more people will probably. You know, take it to the extreme and probably, you know, end up, you know, seriously hurting themselves. But that's the thing, like, right? I think, so I, I think, I think you should propose the the separation. It's the court games 
and they're not been court games, basically. Yeah. And you, yeah. you have like an amnesty if you really want, and you can go into the court games, and then all the mentalists who want to pump they themselves and they stuff, must, they, they can do that. Do it. They well, must have you're like bodybuilding, Dan. That's just every single event, isn't it? They must have they're like, all natural. <laughs> yeah, all natural. natural. <laughs> there must be an event somewhere where, like, there must be an event somewhere where people have organised like non-tested sprinting. Do you know what I mean? There must be. I'd watch it. I'd yeah, I'd watch it. Hundred percent. The, the, like, the only thing some... that it draws back on, I don't agree that it should. Well, I don't. I... Because then it, it it goes into like I don't know fighting pits kind of thing like that. I don't think officially in UFC and like boxing and stuff like that. I still. There's something wrong about this guy. That guy took more drugs than this guy, so therefore he's going to win. But then so, I think you're going to get the the problem you're going to get then if you do allow it. Of course, will be the whole thing that's like I suppose happened in bodybuilding, where it's like like normal bodybuilding is the is the creme de la creme. That's where all the money is because it's like almost a, a bit of a freak show, right? Is that how big it's going to be? Whereas, it is, yeah. whereas the natural side of it isn't sponsored. There's no money in it. No one cares because it's like, well, yeah, I, I've seen it before. Like it's enough. So it's that element, to it, isn't it? Where if you did that. The, the the natural athletics would just die because no one would want to do it. There's no money, there'd be no money in it, no sponsorship, no nothing. There's plenty of money in like there's plenty of money in natural bodybuilding with nasal strips, mate. So I don't know what you're on about. There's so much sponsorship going on. Get that sponsorship. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, we got to ask Alex some pointless guest questions, haven't we? Really? Uh, we have to, mate. Yes. I mean, the- we've we've had enough serious chat. We know what you do. You're a physio. You fix people. What well I'm cool. All right, burger. And... I help people fix themselves, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Magic hands. That's what he's called back in Essex. Well known around Chelmsford. It's madness. Um, so you know the questions. I'm sure you've listened to some of our guest posts. I'm 100% sure you listened to Dean's show. I'm sure he would have yelled at you. Um, that yeah. was, by the way, the uh, the first thing why I named him Alex Smith, uh, because whilst Alex was uh, Dean's <laughs> client, or um, he was apparently writing his program at a very similar time that we were talking to him, and uh, he butchered your name live on show, <laughs> and then, he, was, <laughs> and then uh, he just called him Smith. And then, did he in fact write that on your program? Yeah, the program <laughs> after that was Alex Smith. Uh, <laughs> when it was, but. <laughs> yeah, that, that one's stuck like a bad smell, I think. <laughs> I thought that was great. So, bless him. Dean, <laughs> so, Dean is very funny as well. Um, if you ever get very, a very dry. To, very dry, yeah. He, he, yeah, he cracks you. If you ever get a chance to see him speak, then do, because he, he has got jokes, but you kind of have to take him with a pinch of salt and he will be very dry. Uh, but yeah, what we've got. Um, so, burger, any topping in the world, as many toppings as you like, whatever you're going for. What's there? I'll probably stick another, bur- another burger on top of it if I can. Another burger. We don't yeah. have that. Always, always double up. Always <laughs> double up. Uh, just, just another burger, plain bun. Just no. Maybe. Okay, so what I would say normally <laughs> go double burger, bacon, and then some kind of cheese on top. Depends what's on offer. It's fairly standard, isn't it? Dan, yeah. I feel. I feel like it's 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 there. It's safe. Very safe. It is safe, isn't it? It yeah. is safe. But I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. He's a physio. He's got to be safe. He's got to be safe. Li- it's probably his life. It's safe <laughs> first. You know? Like I get it. It's fine. But also a classic. You can't go wrong with that. You cannot go wrong with it. But you know, I think nowadays we can we can branch we can branch out further than than just that. But I understand your reasoning. Don't worry. It's fine. I did. I did have a burger with macaroni cheese on it a while ago, and that was a bit odd. No, nah, I don't. I don't like it when people do that. I, I'm like, I'm not a huge fan of macaroni cheese. To be fair, you know but. No, like because people do it, don't they? As well, they do it in like breadcrumbs and then fry it, so it's like a burger in itself. Yeah, and then yeah. When they cut it; it kind of goes everywhere. But um, you see a lot of them in it. Like a lot of Americans, obviously, do it, don't they? 
Yeah, wouldn't have it again. I really want to try that Tony Tony Tonkos burger. I still really want to try it. The peanut butter one. No, he had the um, the cinnamon. Spread. Yeah, the cinnamon one. I still want, I still want the Rossetti one. To be honest, I still just burger. want to put want to put the burger within a donut. That sounds incredible. Yeah. I can do that myself, <laughs> yeah. but it's just yeah, I definitely have that uh, milkshake on the side, mate. What, what are we going for? Oh, I'll go something Oreo based. Oreo based. That's standard. That's good. Yeah. Also, what is happening in the shops right now in terms of Easter chocolate? What off the bat? Let's give us a one, two, three of Easter eggs. If you do eat Easter eggs. If not, then leave the show. God, I can't remember the last time I ate eat an Easter egg. What? Yeah, I know. Are you kidding? Like... <laughs> it's all right, I'll, I'll just leave now. Uh, I, I don't know whether I'm a child. and I, I've You're eaten, definitely a child. I, I have probably 100%. eaten one every other day since they've been out of the shops. Like They're so good. You can get like... Because <laughs> obviously cream eggs are back, and then you have to eat cream eggs just constantly. Every... But for the amount of chocolate that's in an Easter egg, Tom, you're just wasting your money. I know, like, but you it's, it's, there's something... like People will 100% agree with me. There's something about an Easter egg, and when they eat an Easter egg, it is better than a bar it's, it's, it's just so much better but the best thing about easter is that they bring out the reese's eggs the small little ones reese's they eggs. are incredible so See, that dan said when i was working with him i couldn't eat easter eggs so that's yeah. stuck, with <laughs> stuck with him see it's longevity right he remembers yeah that's uh, it you see? <laughs> four or five years ago he stopped eating them you can't work out why yeah. <laughs> all right cereal based as well okay so top cereal that you would eat Top cereal, I would go Crave. Ooh, Crave. Choice. It's a good I'll... choice. It's it's the one that's in in my cupboard right now. Which what about a controversial? Through. What about a controversial choice? One that you love but you don't think many people like do. Like a, a guilty pleasure. Yeah, a guilty pleasure. Um, I'm I'm quite happy with Aldi's own brand granola. That's a good a good safe shout. I, I can't. I, can't say I've tried it. I'm gonna be honest. No, <laughs> it's good. It's, it's consistent. You know what you're gonna get with it. Most granola is good though. To be fair, it's so yeah. high in calories. It's so just it's fine. yeah, super like sugary. It's pretty decent. People have this weird sensation that they think it's healthy because it's called granola um, from the general public. But yeah, apart from absolutely, that. <laughs> definitely, definitely not. All right. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to ask, Daniel, our resident physiotherapist? No. No. We're done. I think we're Show. done. It's a great show. Uh, we've you're probably no, you're the second physio we've ever had on episode hundred, <laughs> episode one hundred and fifty five. Um, mental. We're well over a hundred ratings now. Thanks, guys. Um, basically, well, we're running out of spaces for our workshop as well. So if you haven't jumped on it, do. I think we probably got five spaces left. That's it. Um, which is pretty good, I'd say that. Oh, um, I know. It's, <laughs> in, oh, uh, that means we actually be speaking to some people. Have to actually like do some work, mate. Um, <laughs> so it'd be good. Um, yeah, the link and stuff. It is. If it's, apparently uh, on the email that LDM has sent out, uh, the timing's not on there. It is nine till four. If you've realised that, um, <laughs> I've got back on that. They'll send a new email. Um, so click on both our links in our link tree, basically on Dan's Instagram, or just go on the uh, London Muscle website. You can go find that there. Um, any brand new YouTube videos that you've just released, Dan? Um, yeah, well, one was out yesterday, wasn't it? That was the one that everyone st- jumped on. Everyone started hating on, and there'll be one. T- <laughs> there'll be one. There'll be one today. There'll be one today because it's going to come out. This no. is 
Tomorrow, come out Thursday, Wednesday, maybe. Thursday. Probably yeah, most people will listen to it on a Thursday, I'd imagine. Probably Thursday night. Um, but yeah, just go, just go and subscribe, and then you'll never miss one. So exactly, put on. press the little bell icon that it notifies you when you, you know all out. that yeah, shit, all man. that stuff. Do you say that at the start of every every one? You got to. That's no, what most people do. No, we're not big enough. We're not big enough. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be big to do that. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, and where can people find all of your stuff, Alex? So rehab to robust, right? Yeah, so uh, Facebook, Instagram, rehab number two, robust uh, website, same, just rehab to robust.co.uk. Um, find me, message me. I'm quite happy to take any questions or if anyone's got any other follow ups from this podcast, drop them my way. 100%. All right, I think we're done, Dan. Perfect. Wonderful. All right, I'm going to go put my nasal strip on because it's time for bed. And uh, thank you for coming on, Alex. We will. Thanks for having me. 100% push out your uh, your product next week. Look out for it on Tuesday, guys. And uh, we will catch you next week. <laughs>